Hi, good morning again. Yeah. So it is my pleasure today uh, to introduce our guest speaker, Keith. Uh, if you don't know anything about Keith, uh, he lives somewhere in the Valpo area. Uh, he works at the Valpo Nazarene Church uh, doing a job title that none of us know what it is. Uh, he has a wife and multiple children. Uh, help me please welcome my secret man crush, Keith White. I never know what to do when somebody says man crush. <laughs> um, it is so good to be with you. I've had a chance to hang out here before. I always love the opportunity to come over to real life. Um, we're just so grateful. I, I can tell you from the VNC perspective, we are so grateful for the impact you are having on the region. And just even the, the back to school fair stuff. I, I love it. Um, just hearing um, the history of it and just knowing what's going to take place today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being Jesus to this community. Thank you for reaching into people's lives in such a unique way, and it's, it matters. I mean, just know that. It really does matter what's going on and all the efforts that you give. Uh, quick shout-out to all my team World Vision friends. Uh, that, yeah, there you go. They ran a 13.1 yesterday, and so if you haven't had a chance to get... Yeah, they're... I, I don't know if they're here or in bed, but the 13.1, the, the they did great, and they're, they're on their way to just getting as many people as we can clean water. So a big uh, props to them for what they're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative to be a part of the extended team that takes place down in Valpo. Uh, this series that you're in is a good one. Uh, I was uh, excited when Scott asked me to come and be a part of what's going on with this and, and to approach this idea of a retweetable life and, and what does that look like. And before we can retweet something, we obviously have to have a little bit of understanding of the concept. And, and so I, I went back in my own life and started thinking through lives and people who have impacted my own journey. And then I started really thinking back of, okay, when was the first time that I really got that? When's the first time I understood that, that God could work through someone else's life in a way that it would impact others? And I went all the way back in my head to when I was in uh, high school. And at first I went the mushy route where I thought about how people had invested in me. But then I tried to think of what, when are those times where I've seen God at work in my own life and it just, it just clicked. It finally made sense. And my brain went back to uh, when I was a counselor at a boys camp uh, one summer. I think, it was, I think it was my senior year. I was getting ready to, to, to move on to the next step of life. But I was working that year as a counselor at this boys camp. So I had about 10 boys in this cabin. And it was in that setting where, well, if, if you've ever been to that type of camp setting and you just put a bunch of little boys together, it's a little crazy, a little chaotic. And, and, and the first day, I'm trying to do this counselor thing. I'm trying to, to handle everything really well. And I realize none of the boys are in the cabin. And I'm, I know that's not good at this point because we've only been there about three or four hours. So I need to figure out where the boys are. And so I go looking and finally somebody gives me a heads up. You should probably head down to the, the bathroom shower area. This was almost 30-some years ago, so this was before we put up curtains and everything was split out. I mean, it was just more of one massive shower room, and then on the other wall, brick wall, and then on the other side were all the toilets and all that. Well, I get down there, and every last one of my 10 boys who I'm responsible for are in their whitey tidies. And they have turned on all the water of all these showers, and they are sliding across the floor in there. My head is going, you are sliding across athlete's foot fungi as you are going across this. 
Now, some of those boys, I'm pretty sure that was the only time they were in the shower for the whole week. <laughs> I had another two little guys who, they were my favorite, they were dear to my heart, um, but their names were, uh, I gotta say this right and you'll understand why in a second, it's Joey and Robbie Rollins. Um, now, these two young boys had a speech impediment. I had a speech impediment when I was little, too, and so I have some, some love for them in that way, but they, were, they would tell you their names were Woey and Wobby Wallens. And so that was part of my week, was spending time with Woey and Wobby and, and, and getting to know them more. I was growing in this adventure, but the thing that sticks out to me the most that week was when this one little guy um, came back in the cabin, and we were getting ready to go to dinner, and then after that, there would be a church service that we would go to, and and there were, there were some other teenage girls working the camp in the kitchen, so I had to look good. So I was, I was getting myself all prettied up for those ladies. And this little guy comes in, and I watch him as he, he walks in, and he looks at me as I'm, um, this is, shows you how far back it was going. I'm pretty sure I was feathering my hair in, in the mirror. And this little guy, I, I, I look at him, he comes in, there's no real eye contact, but I can see he's looking at me, and he goes back over to his bunk bed, and I see him get in his suitcase, and he pulls out a, a shirt that is almost identical to the one I'm wearing. And then he walks up to the mirror, not saying a word, no eye contact, he walks up and he, he brings a comb, and he starts combing his hair exactly the same way I was. And, oh, yeah, but it messed with me, because now all of a sudden I started realizing, wait a second, that little guy is watching the steps that I take. The way I'm living my life, before we even had the thought of retweeting anything, I was brought to this moment of recognizing that how I, not just how I brushed my hair, but how I was living my life with that kid that week could make an impact in his life in a big way. What about your life? What makes your life retweetable? And what about that comes into play when you're thinking about a faith story and we're looking at the, the words that we find in, in Scripture and how it speaks to it. it. As you've been working through so many different names that aren't the, the top of the list type of names, but names that come into play that are probably would be more described as ordinary people, these past few weeks as you've been looking at their stories of faith and seeing how it's retweetable, what makes it that way? I mean, is it not that God's at work in the lives of the people of Scripture that we read and we find ourselves wanting to dig deep. We, we want to understand it more. So we unpack it and we learn from it. And maybe, just maybe, we even try to live it. Well, today Scott asked me to, to talk about Ruth. And when we go into this part of the Old Testament, uh, you're going to see that Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament. It's only about four chapters. Here's the scary part, but don't let it freak you out. We're actually going to go through all four chapters today. But don't worry, we won't be here. Well, I hope we won't be here long. Ruth is significant for several different reasons. One is because it is through Ruth that you will, well, the, the family tree of Jesus takes shape. But it's also in this unique little book that we see that God's love is not just for the Israelites, as many of the Israelites may have thought back then, but that God's love expands well beyond that for so many. And so as we dig into this part of scripture, I want us to know that I do believe that Ruth's life is retweetable. And could impact how we live our life if we unpack it and we try to live it. But I also got to tell you, as we work through these four chapters, I feel like it's a Hallmark movie. Do I watch Hallmark movies? I don't know if I want to answer that in this room. But I will say I, have a, uh, I do have, as Reed was saying, I do have a lovely wife. 
and I have two uh, teenage daughters. And so I, as much as we don't watch Hallmark during the year, when it comes around Christmas time, it about makes me sick how often that channel is on my TV. Are there any other guys with me? Maybe not just guys, but you're going, please. How many times can you do a movie about mistletoe? And how many times can the same actor or actress be in every movie and you not go, I know who you are. Um, okay, I gotta quit. Okay, but I say that this is like a Hallmark story because I want you to think through the fact that as you hear it, there are parts of it that you're going to go, oh yeah, that just sounds too good to be true. And, and as we work our way through it, I think you'll feel that a little bit, but we'll come back to that thought in a few moments. But I'm telling you, it feels a little bit like a Hallmark movie. Now, to understand Ruth's story in this part of scripture, you actually have to start in a unique place. You have to go back to her in-law's story. It's not often when you want to get to know someone better, you go to the in-laws, but that will, that's what we're going to do. Uh, if you've got your Bible or, or, and um, whatever method you use, whether it's on your phone or you got it in your hand, you want to go to Ruth, because um, the way we're going to work through these four chapters, I'm going to do a lot of talking, we're going to do a little bit of reading, and we're going to try to see what God wants to say to us in the midst of that. But Ruth's story begins with two people that she didn't know yet, Elimelech, and who knows if I'm saying that right, and Naomi. So it's a husband and wife, they're Israelites, they are Jewish people who are living in the promised land, in particular they're living in a town that you may be familiar with, it's called Bethlehem. Well a famine would hit Bethlehem and when it hit, uh, they had to make some decisions and, and even though they were in God's promised land, the land they told them, listen I'm going to take care of you in this and this is the land I give you, they would decide that it was too hard, that it seemed pretty unbearable and so they would leave. They would take their two sons. And they took their two sons, and they left all they had, and they left the land God had promised them. And they went to their auntie and the uncle in Bel Air. And I just wanted to see if anybody was still listening. So, good, you're with me. Well, some of you are. They landed in a place called Moab. Now, what you need to really know about Moab, there's not a whole lot to know other than that Israelites and Moabites didn't always get along. So they've gotten to that type of land. They, their two sons, while they were there, and it's around probably a decade, maybe a little bit more of time that they're there. Well, their two sons take two wives. Well, don't take two wives. That sounds awful. But they, they got two wives. Um, one of their sons got a wife whose name was Orpah. And every time you look at it in Scripture, you're going to want to say Oprah. Just trust me. And then the other one is Ruth. So that's where Ruth comes into the picture here. Now, what happened is they left that land, and in their minds, they left all the hardship behind. They left all the difficulties, but they didn't think through the fact that hardship and difficulties are not limited to a space, but that they're part of life. You see, in the next 10 years, Imelech, this guy who took his family out of the promised land, and, and they went, and now his sons have married these women, he dies. And then somewhere within the next few years, if that's not bad enough, the patriarch of the family, the guy who's providing, he passed away. Both his sons passed away. So now you have Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, and these two daughters, Ruth and Orpah. And to say that they lost everything is an understatement. I mean, to say that everything that they had is now gone is so, so small and significant of what they're encountering as they live out their life. Because you see, in that culture, in that time period, number one, to be a woman, they were not valued as they should have been valued. They were not respected in the way that they should have been respected. In that, that culture, but that was the reality of the day. Now, you add on top of that, they were widows. 
So once again, their, their value decreases. But then you add this other element to it that we'll find as we read through here is that the, the two younger daughters, neither of them had gotten pregnant in that time span. So there were no children. So now you have three women with no one to provide for them, no one to take care of them. They got nothing. They've lost everything. Everything is gone. Now normally, if you were in Naomi's situation and you had other sons, then it would be easy because the other sons could take on the responsibility of these two, uh, the rest of the family and take care of them. But since they didn't have that, they literally have nothing. And so they find themselves here in poverty. Their world has fallen apart. Everything is literally gone. But Naomi heard, the mother-in-law, she heard that God was doing something back in Bethlehem. That God was up to something and she decided we're going to go see what's going on. So let's dive in. Here we go. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. So they hear this good news. They hear that that is going on. That all of a sudden God has provided in Bethlehem. Well, it's his promised land. He said he was going to take care of them. It shouldn't be that shocking. It just didn't happen as quickly as they wanted. And I imagine if we were watching a Hallmark movie, this would be the point where they would go to the commercial break. Because now they've set the tone that now the, the, the men have all died and these women are helpless and defensive, but they've gotten this tiny bit of good news. Well, during this commercial break, let me throw a question out at you. One for you to wrestle with more than fits with the story, but when things get tough, in your life, when the difficulties come, when, when sometimes it feels like you've lost everything, are you running to God? Or are you running from God? When the difficulties come, when you look back on it, or maybe as you're walking through it right now, do you run to God? Or do you run from Him? Well, after uh, Ruth, or, or Naomi, had decided to go to Bethlehem, she started thinking it through, and she decided that she wanted to set her daughters-in-laws up. Daughter, in, That's not good grammar. She wanted to set them up well. And, and so in doing that, she said, listen, y'all may just need to stay put. And I'm sure she said you all, because that's the southern thing in, <laughs> in Moab. Um, she, so she tells them that, and, and she says, why don't you stay here? You've got a better shot of getting married. Because these are your people, this is your country, and these, uh, it's just going to be better. And you have your gods to turn to. Because maybe in that moment, Naomi was feeling like God wasn't showing up. But she invited them and decided it would be best for you to stay. And one of them agreed, Orpah agreed and said, you know what, I will stay put. But Ruth had a different response. Ruth would not leave her mother-in-law. Ruth would not leave her side. And we get to see why in her response. I want you to look at verse 16 of chapter 1 in Ruth. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's really a beautiful statement, and, and maybe you've heard it at weddings, 
you know, that you are, they are, your people will be my people and your God, my God. <clears throat> it's a significant statement. It's a risky statement. Because, see, Naomi would be going back to her homeland, but Ruth would not. I mean, Ruth would be a foreigner coming into a land to a group of people that weren't necessarily very fond of the Moabites. And remember, don't forget the things we already mentioned. She's a woman. She has no children. She's in absolute poverty. She's a Moabite. So for her to say, your people are my people, your God's my God, it's a risky move. It is a major step of faith for her to say, I'm going to put trust in a God that maybe she's known as she's been watching Naomi, maybe she doesn't know him real well, maybe it's new steps of faith. Either way, she would choose a path more connected to God than to her old way of life. In those moments, she would choose the path that would connect her to God more than she would the path that would connect her to her old ways of life. So they would return to Bethlehem. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. See, we're cruising through these, don't worry. Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, we'll talk more about Boaz soon, but I want you to know he's kind of a big deal, all right? And you'll see why as we work our way through this. But the language that gets used a little bit later in Ruth is this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And if you have the NIV, and the words you'll see on the screen will say guardian redeemer. But it's someone who would be called upon within the family to take care of the family, no matter what. And that is who Boaz is. Now, Naomi knows this, but what I want you to catch is that Ruth does not. So here's where the Hallmark movie plot kicks in. Go back to chapter 2, look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, so they're in Bethlehem, they're in the area, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grains behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, hmm, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Emelo. I, I, I have a song that's in my head, but I'm going to not go down that path and come back. What we see in this section, this hallmark moment section, the part of it I want you to understand the concept, this idea of gleaming. Uh, gleaning the field was actually quite common and it was part of a plan that God had set up to both help people learn what it meant to be like him but as well take care of those who were in need so if you were the farmer uh, you were instructed by God to not harvest your entire crop I mean uh, the, the remnants you would need to leave some so that others could come in and they would also be told that if, if like stalks of grain would fall if, if you tied them up and, and that bundle fell to the ground you, you just leave it you don't pick it up so in this process, God has been teaching them compassion, generosity, that they should put their trust in God, even that they're going to be okay, even if they don't harvest everything in that field. But they would also allow the poor to come in and glean the field. Now, when they would glean the field, they would come in and they'd get the remnants, they'd, they'd gather those things, and, and they would then go and thresh them themselves. So it was a beautiful concept where God was teaching about compassion and generosity, but it also was allowing the poor in that, that moment to provide for their own needs with dignity. God had a plan in place. So Ruth is in the field, and she's gleaming. She's doing what we just described, and she's in Boaz's field. Now, 
this is where it feels like the Hallmark movie. I mean, you know, what are the chances that she would be in his field, that all of this would unfold? Well, I think God knew what was going on. These are times where I think God orchestrates certain things. And could it be in your life that God is at work doing something, even in your most difficult times, and you just don't see it yet? Because she didn't know who Boaz was. Her mother-in-law did, but those two hadn't talked about it. She didn't know who this person was. She was just, well, she was a hard worker, and she was trying to provide in whatever way she could. But what about in your hard times? Do you allow, do you allow God to be so trustworthy that in spite of the difficulties, you're willing to say, okay, God, i got to believe that you are doing something behind the scenes that I don't even know. If you look at the next few verses, look at verse 4. Boaz comes back into play. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the, the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked, Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So he notices her. He notices Ruth in this moment, and we, and we meet Boaz, and he seems like a pretty nice guy. I mean, if you caught his greeting, uh, there is an aspect of he's a man of faith. We also know that he's a man of compassion, not only in how he interacts with those who work for him, but what we'll see, if you keep reading through that section of Scripture, you see that he is unbelievably compassionate towards Ruth, not even really knowing her other than the story that he's heard. And so he would look out for her, he'd protect her, he'd provide for her, he would meet those needs. Now I want you to go to verse 11 chapter 2, because Boaz has actually interacted with Ruth. He's, he's acknowledged her story. He's wanting to talk to her in this moment, and she's like, I can't believe you're talking to me. I mean, I'm, I'm just the foreigner. I'm, I'm the widow. I'm, I'm a nobody. I've lost everything. But look at verse 11. Boaz replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord and the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Put yourself in, in the, the place of Boaz for a moment. You see somebody who is going through a difficult time. You may be sitting next to somebody that's going through a difficult time and you know it. Are you speaking words of encouragement into their life? Are you speaking words that are constantly pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to God as they're maneuvering through this? And then go to the flip side of that. When you have people speaking that encouragement into your life, when you have somebody speaking to you that you trust, that you love, that you admire, who is speaking to you about how God is in the middle of all that, receive it. Sometimes it's so easy to get real cynical because we're in the midst of a difficult time. But what if we would receive the Boaz-type person that God puts in our life to bring those words of encouragement. When he speaks to her, it's setting up the next Hallmark moment. It's the next commercial break leading to what's going to unfold next because as this starts happening, you've got to start believing there's a little something going on between Boaz and Ruth. And what we learn later is he's quite a bit older. He's quite the cradle robber in this story. But I think his intentions were very pure and kind at the beginning. But what we see is that he would invite her to dinner. So you're coming back from the commercial break of the Hallmark movie. You see Boaz has invited her to dinner. She comes, she eats, she doesn't eat everything so she can take some food back 
to her mother-in-law. They have a conversation, they talk, she gets to know him a little more, and then Ruth and the other workers go out into the field, and Boaz has told some of his workers, listen, I want you to make sure that you drop stuff on purpose so that she can pick it up. He's beginning to wanting to demonstrate that kindness, to bless her, not to dishonor her dignity, but to, to give her the opportunity. Well, she leaves from that encounter and she goes home. And now she's coming home with all this food, everything she's gathered and, and threshed and all the work she's done. She shows her mother-in-law all this food and she starts to tell him about this guy. This guy who owns the field and all the things that he did. And, and so then she asks, uh, Naomi asks Ruth, what's his name? This is the hallmark moment. His name is Boaz. Cut to commercial. <laughs> because they got to set you up for what's next. Because what? R Naomi knows who he is. Ruth had no idea. No idea. But Naomi is aware that he is this kinsman redeemer, that he is the guardian redeemer. Look at Ruth's response, chapter 2, verse 20, when she becomes aware of this information. So you come back from the commercial, and you got her saying, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped, she's talking about the Lord right here, he has not stopped showing his kindness and to, to the living and the dead, she added, that a man is our, that man is our close relative, he is one of our guardian redeemers. You see, this is a reminder to me in Ruth's story, if I'm going to retweet her story, then I have to be reminded whenever I reflect upon it, that God is doing something even when we don't know it. That even in your darkest moments, will you trust a God who loves you, that he is doing something even when you don't see it, even when you don't know what's going on. Even in the hard times, there can be hope. Even in your darkest valleys, there can be hope. It's hard to have faith in those times, though. I mean, can we, let's get honest. At least it is for me. The times where you would expect someone like me to be going, oh yeah, when it was the darkest hour, that's when I was at my strongest. Ah. Those are the moments when my faith gets tested. And sometimes, sometimes I'm weak. It's hard to have faith in those times, but that is why we need to be reflecting and retweeting Ruth. To remind ourselves that when that does happen, that in difficult times, faith not only matters, but it can grow. I may not like my faith growing in the difficult times, but I guarantee that is when my faith has grown the most. That's when I've seen God do incredible things. That even when I can't see past the pain in the moment, it's through Ruth's story that I'm reminded that I can have hope that the story's not over yet. Ruth could have easily thought the story was over when her father-in-law died, when her husband died, when everything just went down the drain. But she chose to have hope because the story wasn't over yet, because God is in the mix. Boaz is this kinsman redeemer. He is the guardian redeemer. It's more than saying that he's a relative. It means that he's this special family representative. If anyone in the family had gotten taken into slavery, he would buy them out. If anyone was in danger of losing a piece of land, he would buy the land to protect it and keep it in the family. If there was a, if there was a childless widow in the family, he would step up and marry them. Hmm. 
Naomi knows all that. She gets excited. She puts together a plan to start trying to get Boaz and Ruth together. She's doing everything she can. It's a combination of both faith and taking some risks. But here's the Hallmark movie turning point. This is where the plot takes a turn. Because she lays out a plan. She goes, I want you to go to Boaz. And she's talking, Naomi talking to Ruth. She says, I want you to go to Boaz. And I want you to to lay at his feet. Because he'll be in there protecting the crop um, before the workers go out. So when he's asleep, you go lay down right next to his feet and uncover his feet. I know this makes no sense to us, but in that culture and setting, it made sense. So she would do that, and she went in, she laid his feet, and she said, now when he wakes up, you need to tell him who you are, and that he is your guardian redeemer. And that's what Ruth would do. And in that moment, she would lay at his feet, he would wake up, he would be startled, he would wake up, she would explain, listen, this is who I am, and this is how we're connected. And in that moment, it wasn't, her, it wasn't her demanding some right. It wasn't her being pushy. There was no victim mentality going on in that moment. She was coming, trusting the goodness of this man that she knew and trusting her God. And to take the robe or the blanket and, and take it from his feet and have it off and then ask for him to put it over her would be very symbolic of him saying, I choose to be that kinsman redeemer, that guardian redeemer. And that's what he would do. He would take her under his protection, take her as his wife. I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 12. This is Boaz now speaking to her. Although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Hallmark commercial break. Think about, if this is a Hallmark movie, everything has come up to this beautiful point now where it's like, oh man, here's the romance, they're going to be able to get together. He says, "I, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. Everything's coming together. But wait a second. Now we see that there's someone else who, in essence, someone else who gets first dibs. And he's acknowledging that and thinking that, oh man, I can't believe in this moment that that would happen. Remember, she came from nothing. She had nothing. She lost everything. And now it looks like God is doing something. And then this roadblock. How many of you have that described your journey? You feel like you're coming out of that valley, like everything's finally coming together, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get land blasted. And you want to go, but but God... I thought you were doing this. God is still at work behind the details. God is still at work even when you don't necessarily see it. Let's keep reading through how this response goes. So he's told her that there's someone more qualified to be this redeemer. And he tells her, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. And lie here until morning. Well, that next morning, Boaz would leave that scene, and he would go and, um, he didn't necessarily set up a meeting, but he knew where this guy was going to land. He knew where this guy would be coming by the gate, and he had some of the, in essence, some elders in the area. He had people around to be at this moment. 
And so he catches the guy at the gate, and he pulls him aside, and he starts explaining to him a little bit of what's going on. And I want you to look at at chapter 4, verse 3. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Boaz is speaking to him, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. Then look at those next words. I will redeem it, he said. Once again, I think they would cut to the commercial, because you know how as the movie gets going, the commercial seemed to happen a whole lot quicker. So they've set it up to this point of now this guy is saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take the land. But Boaz continues. And when he continues, he begins to help this guy understand more. He goes, whoa, whoa, time out. It's not just the land that you're going to get. You need to understand. You get the land, and you get the Moabite woman named Ruth to become part of your family, to be your wife. And that guy went, time out. Now, we don't know the full detail. I don't know if he was thinking, I already got a wife at home. I'm not sure she's going to like this. <laughs> I, I, we don't know the full detail. We get an idea that he may have been a little bit older uh, because the reason his response was no, I'm, I'm not going to do it now, is because it said that he had already squared away his inheritance with others, his other children. And so the thought of bringing someone else in the mix in some way, and they potentially having children would mean that you would have to spread it out in so many different ways. And, and this guy said, no, I'm not going to do it. That's where Boaz stepped up. So we get the Hallmark movie happy ending. Here you have Ruth, who started with nothing, who lost everything, and now finds herself with this guardian redeemer, taking her as his wife. And wait, it gets better because it's Hallmark movie-ish, all right? So they, they do come together. They get married. Not only do they get married, but this woman who hasn't been able to have children has a child. Not only does she become a mom, she becomes a grandma. She becomes a great-grandma. And you know who her great-grandson was? David. David and Goliath, David. David, David, the one who's at the root of the bloodline of Jesus. It's Hallmark, man. It's nothing but Hallmark. I don't know about you, but my life has not been a Hallmark movie. I mean, I read this and I appreciate it, but I got to tell you, my life hasn't completely played out like that. That in me following Jesus, that everything's just boom, 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 lined up. It hasn't been that way for me. Maybe it's been that way for you, but I'm going to guess there's more of you in this room who can relate to me saying it's not a Hallmark movie than those that would say it is. Now, if you remember at the beginning, she had nothing. No marriage, no children. She gave it all up to go and trust a God she barely knew, to go and walk this out with her mother-in-law. Yet here she is now in this setting. Behind the scenes, don't forget that God's at work. 
in the details. He was at work in your setbacks. He is at work when your world falls apart. He is still doing something in his grace and kindness when life isn't fair, when things don't make sense. Trust him. Trust him even in those times where it's so hard. And also, another thing I think we can learn from Ruth is that her life had a bigger purpose. Remember, we said that it's through the Jesus's, she is mentioned in Jesus's genealogy. When you start viewing your life as connected to something greater than yourself, because you know God, you're on the right path. If you're following Jesus, listen, when you feel like you have nothing or life has hit you so hard, you have nothing, your life still means more than you think. Because you're a part of his family, you're a part of what he is doing. He, Jesus, is your kinsman redeemer. He is the one that draws you in and will walk out life with you. But if you're, like I said, if you're like me, part of what messes with me is my life has not been this Hallmark movie. My life is not Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4. My life's more of a bad reality TV show. Or maybe a sitcom sometimes. Or sometimes I feel like my life is that 3 a.m. infomercial that just seems to be doing the same thing over and over again. Sometimes I feel like my life is more like one of those shows that's a constant cliffhanger and there's no resolve. It just doesn't seem to land the plane. You see, for me, with Ruth, what's retweetable isn't the story itself. What's retweetable for me is her faith in the midst of such difficulties. I think she lived out what would be written in the Proverbs when it said, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's what I see when I think of Ruth. And if her life is retweetable because she did trust God in that way, can I ask you a tough question? Is anybody saying that about you? As you're walking through the difficulties and the hard times, as you're experiencing those times where it, well, you, you, feel like, you feel like you've lost everything, are people looking at your life and going, you know what? They're still trusting God in the middle of all that. We have to live a life of trust in God that someone else would want to retweet. Go back to Ruth one more time. Chapter 1, verse 16. It's that simple phrase, your people will be my people and your God my God. What I love about this is when you think about it, the beginning of Ruth's faith story, we get the impression that it started in her relationship with Naomi. In essence, Ruth's life was retweeting Naomi's life. Do people look into your life, in both the hills and the valleys and the good, the bad, the ugly, do they look into your life and say, I want your God to be my God? Because they see how you are holding on so tightly and trusting God in the midst of everything you walk through, even if that meant losing everything. Do people see that in you? A couple of the guys are going to come up and they're going to, come on up guys, yeah, they're going to they're gonna sing a song over you that I hope that you will listen to the words and, and, and take to heart. But I acknowledge that today there are some of you in this room who would say, you know what, you are where Ruth is at. And so the idea of retweeting her life seems so hard because you know what it is to, well, to lose everything. 
And part of your struggle right now is going, my life isn't a Hallmark movie. I don't know that God's going to give me the Hallmark ending. And and I'm here to tell you, it's not about retweeting the story. It's about retweeting her trust. To say, God, even in the midst of this, I'm going to trust you. That you are at work behind the scenes. And that you are directing my path. Now remember, if he's directing your path, you don't get to define the path. That's God. And you trust him with that. But would you allow the words of the psalm to to speak? to speak into your heart. But it could also be that some of y'all have walked through some hills and valleys in your life and I just need to invite you to take seriously the reality of how your life and how you walk through these things and talk about these things may speak into someone else's life so that they would say, I, I want my God to be the one that you're serving. And it creates this beautiful opportunity for you to bring some beauty out of the pain. Listen to the words of this song.
Guys, just stand with me. We're going to pray in a moment, but I, I, I know in times like this, in a setting like this, there may be some of you who would go, I, today's one of those days I just need to acknowledge that, man, I, I need to encounter the God who is both the God of the hills and the valleys because you're in a valley. And you would like for people to pray for you. And um, chances are you're near somebody that at least maybe has a clue who you are. If not, it's okay too. Uh, but maybe just by lifting a hand today, you'd say, you know what, I'm, I'm at that point where it's not the Hallmark movie, and I do feel like I've lost, I'm in those valleys, and I would just appreciate it if others would pray for me, that I would walk in the radical trust that we're just talking about today. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just let other people, it's all right, there's no shame. I mean, Jesus never said, come follow me by closing your eyes and bowing your head. So, I mean, it's part of us walking this journey together. Thank you, thank you. I want to pray for you. If you see somebody nearby that you know that raised their hand, make sure you pray for them right now. And maybe even follow it up with a conversation a little bit later this week and talk to them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. That means you acknowledge him in the valleys, you acknowledge him in the pain, you acknowledge him when you've lost everything. Because you're trusting that he will direct your path and get you there. Let's pray together. Father, um, I am just so grateful to get to be a part of what you're doing in this place today. And got to pray for those who are in the valley right now, and they, they just need to be reminded of Ruth. They need to be reminded of what, well, what you were doing behind the scenes. Would you give them the level of trust that they need today to know that even Though right now they don't see you, they will trust that you're there, that you are at work, that you are doing something, that you are in the midst of that journey, that you're in their pain, that you're in what they're walking through. God, I pray for just a, a beautiful sense of courage to trust you today, to walk that out with you. And God, I, I pray for others in this room where we may not be in a valley right now, but we, we know what they're like. We've been there. And we know what it's like to have to, to work our way up a hill that seems impossible, but God, we also know what it is to be on those mountaintops. And I pray for those on the mountaintops. Number one, remind us, we don't need to stay there forever. But also, God, give us those words of encouragement to speak into someone else's life. To be that real and that authentic that when someone hears our stories, that in the midst of those times where we were in the valleys and we were in the pain, that we learned to trust you. And Father, would you use those moments to just point people to you? Holy Spirit, keep us keenly aware of those opportunities in our lives. So would you go with us this week? Would you bless like crazy the moments that take place out the, under those tents at the, at the back-to-school fair? Would your presence be so thick that everybody that shows up just knows, man, there's something different going on here. 
May they sense a love that is directly from you. But may they also encounter authentic people who have walked through the hills and valleys following you each and every step, trusting you. We love you, we need you, and we acknowledge that today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for leading us, even when we don't see it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Make sure you give somebody a hug. Unless that's awkward, give them a handshake on your way out.